Hello, and welcome to Season 5 of Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to let you know how grateful we are to you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We believe that Season 5 will be our best yet. We have a great lineup of speakers for you to enjoy. So we ask that you share this on your social media with your friends and family, and of course, give us a like and leave a review. Thank you. We hope you guys enjoy the season. Today on the podcast, we have Steve Vincent, founder of Power From The Sun. This fifth season of Captain's Corner is sponsored by PFS Financial. That's PFS Financial. And they use biblical principles to guide you in growing and stewarding your wealth. But more importantly, PFS will guide you in fulfilling your search for significance and help you establish a legacy that will embody your passions. For more information, visit pfsfinancialfirm.com. And our thanks to the CEO of PFS, J.D. Palekia, who serves on the Tampa Area Command Advisory Board. And he's the chair of our finance committee and is a wonderful, godly man. You can hear an interview that we had with him on the fourth season of Captain's Corner. We're thankful for his team and the way they're coming alongside of us to bring you today Captain's Corner. Well, welcome to Captain's Corner. Captain Andy Miller coming to you from Tampa, Florida. And I am delighted today to have my friend Steve Vincent on the line. Steve, welcome to Captain's Corner. Andy, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I uh, really look forward to reconnecting with you. Yeah. Now, Steve and I have a bit of a history. Um, Abby's in my first appointment was Arlington, Texas in 2007. I get so used to saying 2010, 20, whatever, but 2007. And his wife, Linda, was on our advisory council, our advisory board there. And um, eventually Steve came on and I learned more about both of them and what God's led them to do. But Steve and Linda both um, were outstanding board members and the type of person that if you get him on a task, he is going to accomplish that task. And, and I had a goal, you know, when we got to, he was our Christmas chair. I'm just going to go and brag on you for a minute before we get into your story. Um, well, please do. No one else will. Okay. Not even Linda or the girls. Okay. But so we had, um, uh, we made, I think like 220,000 before I arrived, maybe somewhere around maybe 230. And I, I had a goal that Every we'd have a dollar for every person in Arlington and Mansfield, which was five hundred thousand people. And with Steve's help, the last two years we got there. And now I wish we could do that today. So if you're listening in Arlington, don't feel badly because now we have now we can't ring as early as we did then. I think Steve and I would have been ringing in the summer if they would have let us. But uh, we were we were ringing. Um, but we started like the second week or first week of November. And man, we had all kinds of crazy ideas. And Steve was just like on top of everything. It was just, I learned so much from you in that time of accomplishing tasks and having vision and how to make it happen. So those were fun days for me. Well, you know, one of the things that really motivates people to work hard is when you have such a great cause. And in my time on the boards, I've realized that, you know, the Salvation Army really walks the walk. Mm. Um, and really doesn't talk the talk as well as <laughs> as they should, because people should know what a great organization it is. And it's really motivational when you learn the great things the Army does. Right. And, and Steve is a big Texas A&M person uh, and has since moved from Arlington to Bryan College Station. Is that right? 
That's correct. And gotten involved with the Salvation Army there and is, is serving on the board with uh, Captains Paul and Annalise Ryerson as well. And so, um, and now you, you, this amazing little triangle, we moved from Arlington to Lawrenceville, Georgia. Well, Paul and Anise are moving there. Well, one of uh, the the Israels who followed us two after in Arlington now are going to Bryan College Station. So you're you're we're all kind of connected. We should have a a party, the four families all together. <laughs> well, you know, it's just so great. There are so many young leaders coming through, and yeah. that includes yourself and and Abby coming through the army. That I've just been fortunate to to meet all of the best ones. <laughs> well, thank. You. I'll let let you say about Tim Tim and Paul and and their wives. But I don't know about. About me, you certainly are blessed to get Paul and Tim and their wives as well. So I think you're gonna, you guys are in store for great things there. But, but let me get back to, I want to get to your a little bit of your story beyond how it connects with the army. Um, and this was always intriguing to me: is you had a a, a very successful career as an executive in an electric electric service company. I, I may have butchered some of that there, but talk about your professional life before you retired. I started to work for a small company in uh, 1974 called Priester Supply Company. Okay. And we serviced the electric utilities and electric co-ops in the North Texas area. And so my job was to call on all the customers we had from Fort Worth out to Pecos, Texas, and from up around the Texas Panhandle down to the Austin uh, area. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that may not sound like a lot of territory. If you look at Texas, uh, it stretches from 800 miles from top to bottom and from uh, east to west. And so I had a lot of geography. So I would go out weekly and call on these customers and try to, to get orders. Uh, in my time there, I spent 32 years there. We grew the company to where we were in 13 uh, states uh, with 16 locations. Uh, just really had a great business, but it was it was time to do something uh, with the company. It was a good time to sell. Uh, we sold. I went with the uh, transition company, uh, became a vice president, and uh, was basically the vice president of utility sales for the Western region, uh, covering all the Western United States. Wow. One of the things I learned to do when I was with Priester Supply was uh, every salesman needs a hook. Yeah. And so my hook was trying to know how to use the products as well as uh, selling the products. Okay. And so I would tell people, you know, if you will buy this from me, I'll show you how to install it. I'll work with your crews. And so I would go out and help them install everything that needed to be put in for a, a subdivision. Huh. And so from there, I gained quite a bit of experience and, oh, I became, a, I guess, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. I could do business work. I could do installation work, uh, and that really put me in my career uh, when I decided to make a change from Stuart Irby. Okay. Uh, Stuart Irby was the one that bought us. Uh, I stayed there two years, but I always felt like, you know, I had been blessed throughout my life, and, yeah. and it was time for me to give something back, and so 
I decided probably what I should do would be to apply my knowledge uh, to a place that maybe they didn't know as much about electricity as I did. Right. Uh, and so Africa was my my target. Before we get there, I want I want to get there. Um, okay. I want to back up. Um, so some of the work that you and I did together, and you know, you just gave your time to us and um, helping us advance the Salvation Army's mission in Arlington and Mansfield. But you uh, connected. I think one other time we went to some other warehouse where somebody's making all kinds of things, and you might remember you and I got some free sunglasses. I'm just okay. So, but there was another guy who I think was with Priester. Another, he was like a colleague of yours there, and you guys uh, both talked about the CEO or founder of Priester and the influence he had on your life and your career and work life, and and you passed some of those things off to me. Um, but is, is, am I am I getting that right? Was there a, a kind of a, a really you're, tough you're guy? Got such a, a fabulous memory, Joe Nussbaum. Yes, uh, was that's the it. individual, uh, and Joe owned a company called Sayso. And he did give us sunglasses and Joe has just stayed with us and worked with us for a number of years. He just uh, invented a face shield uh, to protect workers, personal protective equipment uh, that fits on a baseball cap. Wow. And so, you know, the glasses we got were protective glasses. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there actually is a funny story about those uh, that, if you want to hear it, I'll tell you a little later okay, about okay. Uh, how the security, uh, the Secret Service in Liberia, those guys love those glasses. I'm sure they do. Well, I love how, like, it was just a, a moment where in that time where you were with Joe and you brought me along because we were trying to get him to be a sponsor or something. And it was great. I mean, this is exactly what board members need to do. And when we were there, I realized you were imparting things to me and that you got from the the CEO who was over you two. And I realized, oh man, I'm kind of, I'm the benefit of this. Like I'm a third generation of this, the type of insights you are, you are having from those days at Priester. And that was really a formative experience for you, like shaping your life, not just your career, right? Well, it really was. And, and Weldon James, uh, who was the president at right. the time that Joe and I worked there, uh, he he was one of these people that really believed in being honest. Yeah. Uh, We had a very limited number of customers, uh, electric utilities and, and electric co-ops. And so you continually had to go in those people's offices and be able to go in year after year after year on maybe a week or two week basis. And so number one, you had to be able to realize what does this customer need? Mm Mm-hmm. And then what is this customer, what can I do to help this customer get what he needs? And then you realize you've got to be honest with people. You've got to be totally upfront or the trust is not there. And without trust between people, we really have nothing in our lives. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that, that leads into what you did after. And and I think you were pretty young in my view when you retired, like probably in your fifties, when you when you you sold the company when you or when your company sold was that right? I was fifty five. Yeah. So I mean, well, I was I was fifty three when we sold. I was fifty five when we retired. Okay. After you did the two years with the other. So yes. um so you had a capacity then like financially in your life to like have some some margin, but you didn't just you know get a couple of houses and just play golf. 
you I mean which is fine if anybody does that like but <laughs> I don't want to be critical of people particularly if they donate to the Salvation Army like we appreciate uh, but you you um, decided that there was this hole for electric services I mean I, I think particularly of Liberia but in Africa in general and you actually have a book written about it that I, uh, I was I'm privileged to kind of support and encourage people by when faith lights the way um, and to tell about this amazing story about you taking this discipline that you learned and then the capacity that you have to help people thrive in their own situation in Africa. Well, and you know, I think most of us that, that try to heed the call, that there's that small voice inside almost everybody that says, you know, you could do some, some great things. What you have to do especially those of us that believe uh, in Jesus Christ. Yes. What you have to do is, is you have to listen and you have to heed that call. And I called it stepping out of the boat. Hmm. You know, there was a point where, if you remember, uh, the disciples were out on the water and, and they saw a figure there and, and Jesus called to come out and uh, Peter started walking on the water. And as long as he was focused on Jesus, he had no problem. It right. was when he began to look around and think, wow, I'm walking on water. How about yeah, this? Yeah. Yeah. Then he had problems. And so, you know, I think that's real important for people to realize is that there's a, a calling in all of us, something we've always wanted to do. Right. And, you know, you really ought to try it because you may never know. It may not turn out exactly the way you intended for it to, but it's probably going to be the best thing for Amen. you as well as others. Amen. So what was that? What did that look like for you then as you? you... Well, for me, um, I kept thinking, you know, I've, I've done well financially. Uh, I do have this skill mm-hmm. of not only installing and, and acquiring material, but working with other people. Uh, I had not done a lot of work internationally, but I thought, how hard can it be? So (laughs) I came up with this idea after a trip to China where Linda and I met uh, two Australian engineers that I would like to light some small African villages. Right. And we were going to use solar panels and uh, uh, some small lights and so I was able to make contact with the uh, uh, deputy uh, general of the uh, UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, okay. uh, Sam Dixon. And so I was able to set up a lunch with him when he was in Fort Worth and made a plea to him to support us to light a few little African villages. And when and, you say light, just said, make well, sure we get it. Like when you say light, that means providing electricity where there wasn't any electricity. Well, it was actually just a solar panel and a light. Oh, oh wow. Okay. You know, it was very simple. Uh, my dreams were very simple. And so he listened and he said, well, I'll do that. But would you be willing to go to Africa? Wow. Uh, have you been to Africa? And I said, no, but you know, I've been to Haiti. And so being a salesman, you never want to say <laughs> no. You always want to put your best foot forward. And then later you can realize what you've done. And so I told my experiences in Haiti and how it was probably similar 
similar to Africa. And they said, oh, wow, would you like this hospital? And I thought, sure, how hard can it be? And it was probably, oh, several months before I realized what I had done to myself. Okay. Uh, Just to give you an example, I'm going to jump forward. This particular hospital I agreed to light. Yeah was on 781 football fields in size. Oh, my goodness. And there were 52 buildings. Oh, my goodness. And You were probably thinking like a little uh, uh, one building, like a Salvation Army building or something. Well, no, it was a little more than that. And that's why I say sometimes when this was my own ego probably talking of, sure, I can do this Mm -hmm. without checking out the situation. But it's also a good example of when you step out of that boat and you walk on the water, right. the direction you take may not be your direction. It may be someone else that's guiding you. And so Amen. we we took this on and it was uh, 24,000 patients a year. Uh, and the surgeons would finish operations with flashlights in their mouth a lot of times uh, because of the war. Uh, there was a 14 year civil war in Liberia. Uh, 250,000 people were killed. And so the electric system at that hospital was just totally decimated. Mm. Uh, They didn't even, weren't able to use anesthesia machines when they did their operations. So it was, uh, you know, more than I envisioned. Uh, But, you know, hey, when, when you're following the call, there's, it's amazing where there's a way, even when you think there's a wall. Oh, amen. That's a, there's a way that we, even when there's a wall that will preach, Steve. I just thought that up. Uh, you know, feel free to use it. Oh, it, it's already there. You might as well count it. And you'll see it in a, in a sermon coming to you soon. Right. Just put a little, you know, footnote. Credit. Yes. So, so, so you, you went there and you, you had to use some of your, like, um, probably buying re, your resources from your profession to get the materials there, work with UMCOR, and get this hospital lit. Um, so, so after you did that one, this led to several other pieces, several other projects for you. Did I, did I yes, skip over we, something? Well, no, you really didn't. Um, I might explain a little bit more about that first project yeah, because sure. it sounds really massive. Uh I took nine guys okay. with me that I had worked with for a number of years in my my career. Uh, one of them I especially remember named Terry Thornhill, uh, sitting in the, the top row listening to the a sermon one day. Boy, it came to mind, you need somebody that's really a good construction guy to help you. And so I thought, Terry Thornhill. So... I had not talked with Terry in probably four years. Uh, Terry had enjoyed life, but in his later life, he'd become a a believer. Mm -hmm. And he had asked me to go to a promise keepers meeting and I had something else to do and couldn't. And we had not talked. So as as church let out, I walked out on the church steps and I called him and said, uh, Terry, Steve Vincent. And we exchanged short pleasantries. And I said, I've got to go electrify a hospital in Africa. Uh, you want to go? And his response was, yeah, just tell me when. <laughs> and, you know, this happened with about nine of the, the people I had asked. We had uh, only 
myself and Terry uh, that had really been overseas. Terry was in Vietnam. So that was his uh, prepaid trip to overseas. The rest of the guys had barely been outside of Texas. Wow. But, you know, they were really good at what they did. Uh, So we went over there and we installed, um, I think it was 17 transformers. Uh, We installed the cable uh, for all those transformers. One of the things that was we really uh, were surprised about, we had no way to get a 6,000 pound transformer out of the back of a truck that was four and a half foot off the ground. But we noticed um, some Bangladesh uh, UN peacekeepers driving a truck uh, to gather some water. And we stopped that truck and asked, would you guys happen to have a forklift? And their answer was, you'll have to talk to one of our officers. Well, we talked to the officer and explained what we needed. And he said, uh, well, I can't make that decision. You'll have to talk to our commanding officer. So that afternoon, we went to the UN military compound, uh, the peacekeepers compound, and we walked in and they had basically the only air conditioning in Liberia at the time. It was a double wide trailer and they were watching the World Cup soccer games. And we exchanged pleasantries. They asked us, do you want uh, something to drink? A nice fruity drink. Uh, They offered us dessert. And finally, Colonel Huda said, would you have uh, dinner with us? And sure. So we all sat around, um, our guys on one side and their guys on the other, and Colonel Huda and I at the table in the, the center. And he asked me, well, what are you doing here? And I explained the project. And he said, uh, why are you doing this? I said, I'm sure you know about the hospital and its condition, and they need electricity to be able to, to operate. He said, well, who's paying for this? And I said, well, it, all the material has been donated. Uh, myself and and some of the people uh, manufacturers and he looked at my guys and said well who's paying them and I said well sir they're here as volunteers and he clinked his glass and stood up and said looked at his group and said gentlemen you will do absolutely anything you can to help these people complete their project as long as it does not interfere with your normal duties wow And so we had new best friends and we walked out in their yard and sure enough, there was a huge forklift. There was a, a a crane, a a digging machine that we were able to cut a major road between the capital of Liberia and the capital of Guinea. Uh, I mean, we could not have gotten this done without a UN military battalion right there in the town. Wow. Wow. It was amazing. God provided in such an amazing way. And, and, you know, that that's again to my point about you step out of that boat and you listen to the call. Boy, if you just follow, there's going to be some roadblocks and some some walls. Yeah. But yeah. it's amazing. Wow. And since then, we've uh, we've done quite a few other projects. Uh, I was just looking, trying to think back. Uh, in total, we've done about uh, 102 solar panels. We've done about 11 miles of cable. Wow. Uh, We've shipped about 127,000 pounds of material. And we think we've probably helped about half a million people with electricity in Liberia and Honduras. Um, 
some of these projects, we did uh, the former vice president's uh, school mm-hmm. in Liberia. And back to the story about the glasses, uh, those special glasses that you and I received from Joe, uh, they have little shields for particulate matter. They're used if, if you're in a highly uh, contaminated environment with air. And so being the former vice president of Liberia, uh, who's become a good friend, he had the Secret Service of Liberia with him all the time. And they were in suits and they were big, huge, you know, six and a half foot tall people. Yeah. And so one of them came up to me and said, I really like those sunglasses. And I said, <laughs> well, you know, if you want a pair, I have another pair back in the room. And he said, well, bring them for me tomorrow. So he calls me at four in the morning and says, don't forget those sunglasses. So, <laughs> okay. So I bring the sunglasses, uh, give them to him. And then about 45 minutes later, uh, the other secret service guy comes up to me and he says, you got another pair of those glasses? <laughs> and I said, Oh, I'm sorry. That's my last pair. And he said, how about those you have on? <laughs> and I said, well, they're kind of sweaty and they may be a little scratched. And he said, I don't care. And they, they put them on and both of them said, you know, no one can see our eyes where we're looking. And so, you know, for several years, I guess I set the style for the secret service <laughs> there in Liberia, sunglasses. Yeah. So, so you- anyway, we, we were there in uh, Liberia uh, during the Ebola crisis. We wow. did a project there. Uh, we did some seminaries, some schools, uh, and then we have moved recently to uh, Honduras. And we've changed our plan a little bit in that we ship materials in a container. We unload that container with the materials. Then we set the container in place. We cut holes in that container for vents and for cable exits, put all the material, install it back in, and that becomes our generator house. So we're even using the the generators. Uh, This last August, we did uh, a church in Roatan and then flew a a private airplane uh, into the mainland of Honduras in the poor areas. And we electrified an orphanage uh, that had not had electricity for three years. Wow. No fans, you know, the flies were a problem, nothing they could study with. Uh, We did both projects in one week. Amazing. And so we're really getting somewhat proficient at this. And as soon as my ego gets expanded, I'll have problems. So (laughs) So you have a, in your organization is called Power from the Sun, unless you've changed it since. Is that right? Oh, that's it. S O N. S O N. Right. And so this yep. this is like a, a different way to think about Christian mission than just like sending a preacher. Which we're I as a preacher, I'm glad that we're sending preachers. But I love like you were one of the first board members that I had, uh, you know, work with that really got the concepts of um, the problems of what is identified by Dr. Bob Lupton as toxic charity or an, like enabling m- programs. Or uh, there's another book called When Helping Hurts by Dr. Brian Finkert. And, um, and, and, and the, these, these writings, like often it's hard for me to get help people move away from seeing like how what they're doing could be their charity work in America, particularly in, in international charity work, can actually 
hurt the people they're serving by disabling their own initiative. But I, I always sense, like from you, this full understanding of that in, in the nature of our ministry in Arlington, but also with your own organization. The key thing that you do is put people in positions so that they can develop their own skills and abilities and the capacity of their um, society, like for, I think particularly in Liberia. And one of the interesting things I always appreciate, found interesting in you is you were you felt like a part of your mission, and this was like from is connected to your Christian witness, was helping a- African countries develop their own economies. Be- by, well, yeah. go ahead. And, and you're exactly right. And I'll give you one bad example, and then I can follow up with another. I think. Uh, really good example of of what it takes to help a country. I went to one uh, group down a a river with uh, some of the folks. Uh, We were looking at doing water filters and all of the people brought candy. And of course, these kids just love this candy. Hmm. And so all the kids rush up to them and, and they beg for the candy and they fight for the candy. And all these people I was with just felt so good about themselves and were talking about this. This is so great. This may be the first time they've, you know, seen Americans in their life. Hmm. And as we were pulling away, you noticed they had soccer uniforms and a soccer ball. And then I wanted to ask the people, now, is the next boat going to bring the dentist for all these cavities these children develop from right. throwing candy right. at these yes. children? Yeah. And a good example is one of the things we did uh, about three years ago, we electrified a school and this school is uh, junior high through high school, middle through high school. There is an orphanage that we have electrified that for special needs kids like spina bifida uh, children and epileptic seizures, uh, these children feed into this school We also have this orphanage that I talked about uh, that feeds into this school. But these children, there are about 450 of them. They had electricity about four years. Well, the result was the missionary's son received an appointment to Annapolis because he was able to go on the web and study and, and understand and see the whole world. There were seven of the students that took the exam for the Honduran Air Force Academy and seven that took that for the uh, uh, Honduran Naval Academy. And these children in this area would never have been able to do that if they didn't have access to education, which gives you a view of the world. Their parents were migrant farmers and would leave them at the school while they were gone for six or eight months just to survive. Wow. So, you know, to change the world, you've got to give people, you know, self-reliance and the ability to work for themselves, the ability to make money. Right. right. Capitalism. Yeah. Well, we say like one thing that we've we've kind of formed this kind of a separate vision or why we exist statement for the Tampa Salvation Army. And we say we exist because every person can be the person God has called him or her to be. And what that suggests is that something comes from outside of us. We don't just develop it ourselves, but that everything comes from God. But also it suggests that we don't have to be putting people in a place of dependency, that um, we don't want people like God's best for somebody is not to be homeless, not to be in a situation of being dependent upon government aid or the Salvation Army's aid for that matter. 
Um, and, and the way to get people out of homelessness is by giving them access to the market and acknowledging the skills and capacities that God's given them um, to thrive in life. And I really believe that that can happen. And it, you, you could say it's a capitalist sort of system, but it's more or less just like acknowledging the reality of markets and how God has put markets in our world and we can use them for his purpose. Well, and I don't think God put us here to be takers hmm. because just even logically, it doesn't make sense. If everybody is a receiver and yeah. nobody is a giver, it doesn't work. People starve to death. Right, right. I mean, that's and where so we you, are ten, in the, right now with COVID-19. That's the challenge of like, yeah, we get these stimulus checks and uh, yeah, the government has these bailouts, but where's this money coming from? And for how long can we really keep taking? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You're right on. And I really like what you're doing there in Tampa. Well, thank you. know, you invited me to Texas. You should come on over to Florida. Well, I can't find an airline that will get me there. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah, I'm sure. Just on the other side of the bay. Now, you have a, a love hearing about all the work that you've done with Power from the Sun. But you're just telling me about another book project that you have. And of course, I'll say the name of your first book, When Faith Lights the Way. You can find it on Amazon. Um, and But you have another book coming out too it's completely different but it's maybe connected to what we were just talking about about government well it absolutely is because one of the things that i have always thought about uh our work power from the sun are we really doing anything worth worthwhile um and so it's really made me think about what does truly help people and from that i've looked at not only what happens internationally in the the most needy people in the world, but also in the United States. And so to me, we are where we are because the people have a voice. They are able to elect their leaders and those leaders should follow what the people would like them to follow. So I've gotten together with a, a rabbi. Uh, he's traveled the world for many years. Uh, he's actually one of the uh, world's experts on uh, travel security, works hmm. with the State Department. Uh, and we've written a book called The 2020 Elections, A Survival Guide, <laughs> 100 Questions You Were Afraid to Ask. Wow. And so, you know, it, it is a non-political book, we think, uh, but it's explaining things like, what's an absentee ballot? Are we a republic or are we a representative government? just basic facts that you may have forgotten from your high school courses uh, to bring this in focus again so that you can make decisions about who you really feel like would be your best representative. Hmm. A survival guide. That's how I feel about these next few months with politics. Please, please yes. keep me away from <laughs> Yeah. But it's yes, also so yes. important um, for us to be able to think critically about what's happening with our government and how we hold our government accountable. A government, you know, people will listen to this podcast outside of the United States, but uh, but how we think of the role of the state and what the what that, that um, how we elect that state, hold it accountable, nurture it, and uh, and also accept its authority um, when appropriate. So, well, that's great, Steve. Well, it's so good to spend a few minutes can, with you. Can I throw in one more? Th oh, one yeah, more sure. thing on this this situation. I think that pertains to what you talked about. Uh, if you remember, 
Jesus said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah. And he also told us that your job is to take the orphans and the widows and those less fortunate than you. But, you know, I don't think he ever said your job is to take care of the widows, the orphans and those less fortunate. But you can abdicate that responsibility to the government and let those people do it for you. Right. Right. He said you're supposed to do it. Right. This is the key point, and like, and this is where we might get, into, might get into some trouble. But I mean, ultimately, like, when we look at some of the the, the things that people use from the life of Jesus, um, I don't think we're talking about what is identified in the academic literature, political theology, as statecraft. Um, that that we're not necessarily prescribing a way that governments are to function. Um, and wait, like, for instance, like Matthew twenty-five, uh, when you've done it to least of these, you've done it unto me. I mean, certainly, it's a principle for us to use, but you're right. And I think that that's what the American experience has been. And that's one of the, I just had a conversation earlier today, another podcast. um, And we were talking about the difference with the Salvation Army in the United Kingdom and the Salvation Army in the United States. One of the unique features of the Salvation Army in the United States is the fact that you and I have a relationship being you being a Salvation Army board member. Um, There's not boards and very limited expressions of Salvation Army boards in other, other places. And that is, I think, in part because the American system is such that even though we have traces of this, the government doesn't run all of the social services, so to speak. Instead, it's put within the hearts of people um, to help provide for their neighbor individually. Now, we've crept that way a little bit more as a society, but like it's part one of my missions with the Salvation Army. The way I think Salvation Army units have been able to thrive is getting them off of government funding. You know, when I was in Arlington, we only got out of a $2.5 million budget, only $20,000 of government aid. And um, I, I don't, we didn't even need that. I should have, I wish we had got written it, gotten rid of it then, you know? Um, same thing um, here in Tampa is that we actually ended up falling in bef- the, the a couple of decades before I came, we had significant debt. My And Abby and I walked into that. And part of the challenge was we'd accepted so many government grants that um, they developed these programs that we kept going. And then after the government grants, the income from that, that went down, we were still running these programs. So we had to figure out ways to make that happen. <laughs> and so anyways, I just see, I see this connection, like the role of government is, can be, uh, is critical for how we understand the, the mission of the Salvation Army and the church and charity in general. Well, and I think you're right. And one of the things that we try to get across um, in the book is that our founding fathers felt like that those levels of government that were closest to the individual citizens could make the best decisions for those citizens. Yes. We've got so much diversity in this country and thank goodness we have the diversity economically, uh, ethnically, any way you want to slice it. Uh, But those people that are closest to our particular group, they understand us and can make the best decisions, it would be almost impossible for the federal government to make great laws that would just benefit or even allow all of us to survive without losing some of us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel like we need to have a a part two of this discussion. (laughs) We're going in another direction, but it's so good. Well, Steve... um, Please tell Linda and your girls that we said I said hello. And Abby and I say hello, and we sure appreciate 
seeing how God has led your life and the way you utilize your gifts for the kingdom and the way you've also utilized your gifts for the ministry of the Salvation Army. So thank you so much for joining me on Captain's Corner. Well, thank you so much. As I say, you guys really, you know, walk the walk and uh, I'm just proud to be able to tag along on the hike. <laughs> awesome. Great. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.